Welcome to Hymn Talk, a discussion of hymns, music, and singing in the life of the church. I'm Zach DePrima, and with me as always, or almost always, is my brother Alex. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here uh, on the podcast today. Alex, you and I are members at Emmanuel Church of Winston-Salem, and uh, we identify as a Reformed church, and we also identify as an evangelical church. We would say we're in the evangelical tradition. One of those things means we're committed to this idea of conversionism. Mm-hmm. This idea of having a personal encounter with God, mm-hmm. of passing from death to life, of being saved. Mm-hmm. Um, today, that might be talked about as having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And that relates to the topic that I want us to talk about today, and that's the topic of hymns and the heart. So the intersection between heart religion and Christian singing. Mm-hmm. So many evangelicals, especially early evangelicals, they describe their faith as the religion of the heart. Uh, what does that mean? historically and, and what were those evangelicals um why were they expressing themselves that way and in in contrast to what the evangelical movement emerges in the 1730s and 40s roughly uh the big players uh are preachers primarily it wasn't an academic movement it was a a grassroots movement transatlantic movement uh the big players are men like george whitfield john wesley Jonathan Edwards, a later generation of evangelicals would be men like John Newton, mm-hmm. Charles Simeon, um, guys like that. Hannah Moore. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect and that whole group would certainly yeah, be another generation there. Um, and uh, the movement itself, uh, I, there was a historian actually who wrote a book called The Spirit of Early Evangelicalism. His name is Bruce Hindmarsh. And Heinmarsh did say you could describe the evangelical movement as the this, this search for heart religion, hmm. true religion, mm-hmm. as opposed to nominal religion. Mm-hmm. So what's George Whitfield on about? George Whitfield begins in the Anglican Church, yeah. as does John Wesley, yeah. the state church. But his concern is that, is, that, is that Christian people in England are asleep under the blanket of some sort of nominalism. Yeah. His question is, have you been born again? I'm not asking you... Are you on a membership role somewhere? Yeah. Or are you baptized as part of the state church? Have you experienced, to use your phrase, true heart religion? Mm-hmm. You know, have you have you been converted? Has the Spirit caused you to be born again? Have you become a new creature in Christ Jesus? And that's that's the reason why I think George Whitfield preaches something like north of two hundred and fifty times on the new birth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, he was a traveling preacher, so maybe he's just using his best sermon all the time. <laughs> but but yeah, it, it, it was. The, the, the evangelical awakening is a reaction to a prevailing nominalism. And here you have these preachers who are on fire, zealous to preach about the new birth, and people are realizing Christian faith is so much more than a nominal, sort of moralistic attachment to a state body or to mm. a denomination. It requires actual transformation of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, that that that, that is... I think it's accurate to say that is one of the prevailing burdens of the evangelical movement. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. You say the burden of the evangelical movement, but it seems like nominalism is like a sin as old as Adam. I mean, oh. it's certainly something that we we're struggling immensely today. We're struggling with among to a great so-called degree. evangelicals. Right? Yeah, among so-called. I mean, where how, there's not a place I can go where I don't find people 
merely claiming the name of Christ without yeah. having actually a, an experience of salvation. And, and that's why I think if you're trying to do good history, you should look at a lot of these movements this way. The evangelicals weren't unique in that regard. Yeah. The reformers were a renewal movement mm-hmm. in, in, from one angle mm-hmm. and trying to wake people up from a sort of nominalism, very different type of nominalism. But um, they absolutely would, would be you know, uh, uh, working toward a sort of renewal of understanding of what true heart religion is. Hmm. Um, they even called it evangelical religion. Yeah. Um, and, and that would be true to some degree of the Puritans as well, also concerned about nominalism. Um, all these, these movements, these traditions, it is to get back to the essence of the gospel, the essence of the new birth, the essence of justification by faith. These are so often the factors that animate uh, these sorts of movements. It is concern over a prevailing nominalism. Yeah. But why do you think it's just so easy for us to, just as, as humans, as sinful people, to fall under the sway of nominalism or just religion as opposed to a genuine personal encounter with God? Well, um... I mean, to, to organize... Personally, the latter is so much more appealing to me. Now, <laughs> I, I am an evangelical. Yeah. I just wonder, why, why does nominalism have any sort of sway at all? Well, I think that it's very natural for mankind to organize religion, forms of religious adherence, moral adherence, all of that. That's, that's not a unique Christian problem. People want to identify with groups. People want to identify with institutions. People have a religious impulse. Mm-hmm. And um, but an actual saving relationship with Christ is not man-made. You have to be born from above. It's something yeah. that only God gives. So in that sense, in some ways, it's natural to kind of organize some sort of religious commitment. It's completely supernatural for someone to actually experience the new birth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, religion in the the capital R sense, I guess, of of. Um, kind of cold deadness of spirituality it's, yeah, it's, that's it's, something man can produce in and of himself and it's something man's drawn to yeah and it's interesting there's a degree to which religion works there's a jewish philosopher and commentator i listen to named dennis prager mm-hmm. and something dennis prager says a lot is cultures and society as whole as a whole need a religion yeah they need god it's socially... individuals don't he says. Okay. Yeah. He says you can you can personally reject God, but when an entire culture rejects God, then you have problems. Well, there are lots of people in the founding of this nation who were not true Christians who nonetheless found religion to be useful. Yeah. Uh, to control people, to produce, uh, to 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 um, stimulate people toward pursuing virtue and things like that. There's a lot that's very useful about religion and the Christian religion in particular, apart from an actual saving relationship with Christ. So that could be a reason as well. I, th- I think I think that's legitimate. Alex, today we're talking about heart religion, um, but a common phrase that evangelicals use today is the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, do you think such an emphasis is needed? That's good terminology. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's it's great language. I think. Um, I do get a little tired of the whole, you know, it's not religion, it's relationship. Um, Christianity is still an organized religion and mm-hmm. has all the features of an organized religion. Mm-hmm. So we don't just throw that off. But yes, uh, to, to talk about a personal relationship with Jesus and the importance of that, first of all, is biblical. Clearly, um, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ, to, yeah. as Christ says so many times, come to him. Yeah. He says, come to me, um, makes all these invitations to actually enter into it. An intimate, 
personal, close, near relationship with him. But um, yeah, I, I think that's our way of today of talking about what heart religion is. It's a, do you really know the Lord is what I want to get at? Not where's your membership at First Baptist, whatever, mm-hmm. or have you been baptized, or were you confirmed, or mm-hmm. did you go to a Christmas pageant this year? I want to know, do you walk with God through his son? Mm-hmm. And that's a much more, now we're getting to the heart of what it is to, to be a believer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there needs to be a huge emphasis on that. Yeah, I want to zone in on that personal aspect uh, now as we shift a little bit to consider Christian singing. Do you think it's it's right or wrong for corporate hymns, those are hymns that we sing when we gather together as a church, is it wrong for those hymns to be personal in nature? You mean like using personal pronouns and singing of one's own experience? Um, I Yes, that and also one's personal experience with the Lord, Lord Amazing Jesus. Amazing grace, how yeah. sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Yeah. I once was lost, but now that kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, of course it's okay to sing that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we all recognize all of us singing this, mean this. We are all saying this to the Lord, but it's a statement of personal faith in Christ. We, you know, we also read creeds at our church. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's a personal statement of faith, but you're saying it as a group. Uh, many of the Psalms, of course, are personal in nature. I, me, mine, you know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I don't think you have to turn that into a, into a, you know, the third person in order to sing it. You mm-hmm. sing Psalm 23 in the church. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think it's completely legitimate to speak of your own experience of the Lord's grace, your own expression of your faith in Him, recognizing I'm just not the only one here having this experience. Yeah. It is a deeply personal experience for me, and I'm testifying of this in unison with a group of people here. Or in harmony, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. So you so you would certainly say we can overemphasize that aspect of personal experience to the detriment of what we're doing corporately as a body. I didn't say that just now, but I I I, I suppose that could happen. Hmm. There could be an overemphasis on the individual aspect of me being before the Lord. I would just simply appeal to people. Well, why'd you come here today? Mm-hmm. If this was all about you, you could do that in your closet at home. You don't need us if you want to have your devotions here mm-hmm. today. What about this is distinctly corporate? Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of things that make it distinctly corporate. I don't think every song has to has to be in the third person in order to capture that uh, that um, corporate nature. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's. I, I'm just saying. I guess I'm just saying. I think it's legitimate to use the first person. Yeah. Yeah, singing. Well, I think the the best argument for that is is what you said a moment ago. It, it, we clearly see it in Scripture, mm-hmm. in the Bible's hymn book. That is a psalter. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many of those are are um, written from the first person. Oh. Yeah, I just fear um, maybe particularly with American evangelicalism. I, I guess I'm not. I don't know as as much about English evangelicalism, but I know enough about Americans is that we just tend to be so in, individualistic um, that a byproduct of it uh, it could be stemming from an overemphasis of, of the the this personal relationship with Christ or something else. Maybe it's just the way Americans are that we totally shun this idea of needing a body, yeah, needing a group, needing uh, and being part of a body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alex, how is it that hymns uh, foster a vital relationship with the Lord? Well, it's an ex- it's a it's a poetic expression. 
of what we believe about him, what he means to us. It's a poetic expression of our faith in him. In many ways, it's sort of like the climax to, to, to sing to God and to express your heart in song. It's a, it's a remarkably emotive medium of expressing what you believe. And in that sense, it's, it is very, very different from just saying something to the Lord. Mm. A song is different from prayer. Mm-hmm. The content could be exactly the same. You could say the Lord's Prayer, you can sing it, but the Lord wants singing. And I, I believe he wants singing because as a medium, it's unique. It's mm-hmm. altogether um, its own thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it does engage the heart. It requires a sort of engagement with emotions that's different than, than reciting a creed or mm-hmm. reading a verse or saying a prayer. And because it's emotive, it becomes deeply personal. It has to do with how I'm feeling about the Lord and what mm-hmm. I believe about him and who he is to me and who I am as one accountable and answerable to him and as I am in relationship to him as his child. And so, yeah, I think hymns and songs become very important mm-hmm. in cultivating and nurturing and stimulating um, a close and intimate relationship with the Lord. Yeah. It, it, it is a, a unique way of drawing our hearts out to, to the Lord in relationship with him. Yeah, yeah. Singing is a foretaste of the redemption to come. Um, I think of what John writes in First John. We write these things so that your joy may be complete um, for your fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want to nurture my fellowship with God, it's going to involve that thing that I will be doing throughout all eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the few things that Christians do now when they gather together on Sunday mornings, one of the only things that they do on Sunday mornings that they'll do throughout eternity is sing. It's a really good point. Yeah. So it's it's nece- it, it it should come with the territory that we capitalize on this mm-hmm. to nurture our walks with Christ. Yeah. Do you think uh, we might also do like the passing of the peace or the greeting, you know, in heaven, you know? <laughs> you know like in church <laughs> we don't do it at our church, but you have the, the turn turn and greet your neighbor. You I know? think there'll be a lot of announcements. <laughs> You know, we do announcements at the beginning of our church service, so I think there's going to be a lot of announcements. Some notices. In heaven. Yeah, no. no, it's an excellent point, though, to think, you know, what... Yeah, it, it's it's sort of the climax of uh, the consummation, isn't it? Yeah. All these people singing around the throne. Yeah. You know, that's it's, it's like, what what is the most glorious scene the Bible holds out? What's the end of all things? It's this lamb at the middle of everything, hmm. and all these redeemed people singing to it. Yeah. So yeah, I think it says a whole lot about the role of singing in the well, life of the Christian. Well, Alex, that brings us to our hymn of the podcast, and that's the hymn, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Now, the reason I chose this hymn is I don't know if there's a hymn in my personal experience that has more nurtured my walk with the Lord. Mm. Um, this, is a, this is a hymn that has been both deeply important to me when I was fir- when I first became a Christian and is just as important to me today. And it's a hymn about relationship with Christ. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. The author is John Wilbur Chapman, and he lived from 1859 to 1918. And the original title for this hymn was called Our Great Savior. Now, Chapman, he himself was a Presbyterian minister turned evangelist, and he partnered with a musician named Charles Alexander. And he was one of the pioneers of this, hey, let's do these crusades and let's um, combine really dynamic preaching and witness with uh, music and let's attract people to these tent meetings or the like 
and uh, let's invite people to come to Christ, invite people to turn to him. And so he worked with this guy, Charles Alexander, and he would assemble teams of evangelists. And most notably, he launched a, a famous campaign in Philadelphia in 1908, uh, at which over the course of about four or five weeks, they saw 8,000 converts. That's 8,000 converts in early 20th century America. So just remarkable fruit they saw there. This turned into a major tour through 1909 and 1910. Uh, in 1909, they visited countries, um, they visited Australia, Philippines, Hong Kong, China, Japan, and uh, toured all over the world. And uh, they continued to do so until 1918. In 1918, Chapman was elected moderator of the General Assembly of, Pres- of the Presbyterian Church. And it's believed that the ho- this high-level stress uh, from that job uh, eventually led to his early death in that same year, in 1918. One notable thing I saw about Chapman is he actually, this was in the early 20th century, Alex, and um, do you happen to know when... Um, J. Gresham Machen wrote um, against, what's his book on liberalism? Christianity and liberalism? I want to say it's, what, do you know what year that would have been? Uh, I believe it's uh, like 1916, 1917. Could be wrong. So a few years before that, um, Chapman, he would, he, you know, he would have these teams of evangelists and they would basically canvas a city. And uh, he, he eventually had to lay down the law and said, you, you can't be one of my evangelists if you deny the inerrancy of the Bible. Mm. So at the moment, we're discussing Chapman's uh, probably greatest hymn, Our Great Savior, known today as Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. And this would have been published at the height of his powers in 1910. Alex, I love this hymn. I want to hear some of your thoughts about it. Well, I think, um, so I, I grew up in a church that sang this hymn often. And... Um, I would just say from the standpoint of a child, it really did capture in my mind, it, it helped to frame how I thought about the Lord, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that he is a friend of sinners, that he is a savior, mm-hmm. and, and that, that refrain in the song that's so prominent, that, that, that theme is so prominent in the refrain that we say over and over again. And um, it made me feel that I could approach Jesus, it made me view him the way I think the Bible you know, portrays him as a savior who's ready to receive sinners and one who was in fact a friend of sinners it's interesting that jesus was a friend of sinners if i remember correctly he he never uses that phrase of himself mm-hmm. it's a criticism given of him but he yeah. doesn't correct the criticism yes and um, he was called a friend of sinners because indeed he spent time with sinners he invited sinners to himself and i felt as a little boy invited to jesus by virtue of this song very much shaped my thinking about the Lord. So in that sense, I think it's a great song for Sunday school classes to sing, children's classes to sing. Pick one or two of the lines and make your kids' class memorize it. Mm -hmm. And um, But also wonderful for Christians to sing. I love it now as a believer who's been walking with the Lord now for about 20 years. Yeah, well, it was a wonderful hymn as a child to think, wow, this Jesus who is a friend friend of sinners, I can come to in faith, and he will receive me. And I can experience the new birth. I can be converted. But as I've grown older, he's the same friend of sinners. Yeah. And how much do I need that Savior, that yeah. Savior who will receive me because I'm still a sinner? Yeah. And this would be in the vein. There are other songs that capture the same theme, but it's just something churches need to be singing about. The approachability of Jesus, hmm. the accessibility of Jesus, the gentle and lowly spirit of Jesus. This needs to come out in songs that we sing because it does 
it, it does. I mean, it's in every way appropriate to sing songs like blessing and honor and glory and praise. Mm-hmm. And a bit of the lamb that sits on the throne, a very uh, majestic kind of picture of grandeur, you know, as we think of the lamb enthroned and the consummation. But um, we also need to see Jesus as this humble and lowly Savior mm. that invites even even the little ones to come to him. And that needs to be sung about and communicated mm. in our hymnody. A few of the descriptions of Jesus in this hymn is as a friend of sinners, as a strength in weakness, as a help in sorrow, and a guide and keeper. My favorite verse is uh, probably the third verse here. That's Jesus, what a help in sorrow, while the billows o'er me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. A nominal Christian can't say those words. A person who's Mm -hmm. just religious by upbringing, who's had no personal encounter with Christ, cannot sing those words with any sincerity. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's so vital to the topic that we're discussing today. Christianity truly is a religion of the heart. And uh, hymns like this are emblematic of that. Well, and I like the last verse, you know, there's this note of response. Everything's been descriptive about Jesus. And then it says, Jesus, I do now receive him more than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. It would be so appropriate to kind of, to your son or your daughter or to your neighbor sitting next to you after the service, say, now, do you believe that? Hmm. Can you say that Mm -hmm. about about where you stand with Jesus. Yeah. This is what faith is. Yeah. This is the essence of what faith is. To receive Christ, to find your all in him, to experience forgiveness, having repented of your sins, and to know that you are his, and he is yours, and that he's your savior. And um, in that sense, you can't, you can't sing this and be a fake. Right. You know, I mean, this is the expression of faith. Yeah. And it's a great word. I, again, I just, I just go to, children with this song maybe that just reflecting on my own experience with the song i wanted that fifth verse to be my, my experience mm. it, was, it, it was it wonderfully became my experience even while i was still a child but mm. it was it was um how i wanted to think about about the lord mm. and how i think the bible would have us think about mm. it amen well we commend this hymn to you the tune is a traditional welsh tune the only tune i know for this hymn it's perhaps been done in other other tunes uh, it's al- it's also the tune to Charles Wesley's hymn. Um, what's the hymn? Come now long expected. Come now Jesus. long expected, Jesus. Uh, so just wonderful hymn. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. But with that, we are out of time. Alex, thank you for your time. Thank you.